want you to turn to Judges, the seventh chapter. Judges chapter seven. Yesterday, uh, I had the opportunity, I was asked to, to do a workshop for the district men's conference. And, and, and what I did was this, is I, I, I talked about uh, a topic that we actually discussed last fall. And I want to revisit that because I believe this. I believe that it is a prophetic word for the moment. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that there are a number of people that are here this morning that God said, Ed, this is the message for them today. This is the message for you today. And so, if you're somebody who you hang out here all the time, you might sit here this morning and you're going to go, I heard Pastor preach this message before. Hopefully, you'll hear it better today than you heard it the first time. Uh, but I, I, I believe this. I believe that, that there is a, a word that God wants to speak into your life. I don't know if you've ever had this. I don't know if you've had where you've, where you've heard a song over and over again, right? And it's a song that's familiar to you, but in the moment, it kind of speaks new life. And I'm convinced that that's what God wants to do this morning. I'm convinced that God wants to speak uh, new life into your moment, that God wants to speak new life into your day. Okay, and so um, I, I want to take this with you, with me. But I want you to, I want you to, I want you to help me this morning. Okay, so I want to ask, ask you a question. When you were a little boy, what did you want to be? Fireman. A fireman. When you were a little boy, what did you want to be? Police, Police officer. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be? A doctor. A doctor. How about you? When you were a little boy, what did you want to be? A policeman. A policeman. How about you? <laughs> what would you want to be? A veterinarian. Okay. Here's, here's, here's what I find that's interesting. When you ask people what they want to be, let me tell you, when I was a little boy, what I wanted to be more than anything is I wanted to be a dinosaur. Okay? Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? I wanted to be a dinosaur. And then I realized I couldn't be a dinosaur, and the next thing I wanted to be was I wanted to be an astronaut. And then, and then I wanted to be a professional football player. I have asked this question around the world. I've asked men and women, when you were a child, what did you want to be? Now, here's, here's, here's what I want to point out to you. Nobody has ever said to me, I want to be the call supervisor at Verizon. Now, if you're here and you're the call supervisor at Verizon, I'm not picking on your job. Okay? That's a fine job. Right? Nobody wanted, to be, nobody wanted to be the director of IT for Calvary Church. They, they just didn't want to do that. That's not, that's not something you aspire to when you're a child, right? Nobody said, here's what I want to do. I want to own a painting company. Now, if they do, if you meet a little boy, if you meet a little girl that says, when I grow up, what I want to be is I want to be a CPA, and I want to do middle management in a Fortune 100 company, it's because they've had an individual in their life that was in that role that made a difference. And what's inside each one of us, what's resonant inside each one of us is this desire, this dream, this destiny to live a life that makes a difference. But we grow up in a culture, we grow up in an educational system that moves us from focusing on making a difference to making a living. And what happens is it leaves us, for the most part, unfulfilled, right? We lose sight of Ephesians 2.10, which says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He has prepared in advance for us to do. Now why has God prepared these good works 
in advance for us to do because he needs us to do something? Absolutely not. He spoke the word and the world came into order. God can do so much more with his word than I can do with my hands. And yet, he's prepared in advance these good works for me to do. Why? It's for my blessing. It's for my benefit. It's for my development as a man of God. It's for your blessing, for your benefit, for your development as a woman of God. And yet, all too often, the circumstances and situations of life get us stuck. And that's what happens with the individual in Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7, Gideon. And it's amazing, though, this transformation that takes place. In Judges chapter 7, here, here's what it says. In Judges chapter 7, 17, watch me, he told them, or Gideon told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. God, I, I thank you this morning. I thank you for this example of Gideon. And God, I pray for a Gideon spirit over every man and woman in this place. I, I speak that again, oh God. I pray a Gideon spirit over every man and over every woman in this place. God, I pray that every man, every woman, that they would walk in their true identity and that they would embrace beyond the moment that they would embrace their destiny. Let me give you let me give you the synopsis of the message that I was going to preach this morning. The synopsis that I was going to, the message that I was going to preach this morning was this. The story of the paralytic, paralytic man. It's a, it's a passage from, from Mark chapter 2 that's preached over and over again. And oftentimes what's pointed out is how God responds to the faith, not just of the paralytic man, but it, how, how God responds to, to the faith of the four brothers that carried him. But I believe, that there's a, I believe that there's a far greater message there. And the message is this, that Jesus saw beyond the moment. And he recognized the importance of the man's destiny. So Jesus seeing their faith doesn't say, young man, you're healed. Here's what he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Because God's always concerned about the bigger picture. God's always concerned about issues of destiny. God's always much more concerned about the long term than he is the moment. And what happens is this. So often what we focus on is we focus on the opportunities or the circumstances of the moment and it leaves us short-sighted. We can look at the current situation that we're in and go, God, I don't get it. Your promises say this and yet I'm living and it seems short of your promises. God, you said that you would provide for all my needs, and yet my bank balance and my bills, there's some inequity. God, your word says that you are the God that heals, and yet the doctor still continues to give me this diagnosis that doesn't sound good. God, your word says that we can ask of anything, and I've asked for restoration in my marriage, and it's not happening. I've asked for reconciliation with my child, and, and, and my daughter, my son won't even take my phone call. And God, I don't get it because God, I'm standing on your promises and they don't seem to be working. And oftentimes, friend, when you look at a situation in the moment, it can give you a horribly skewed and a completely inaccurate perspective. But that's what we do. By the way, it's not the way that we're wired. It's an acquired attribute. See, God designed us, he fashioned us and formed us in his image, and God designed us to have destiny in mind. It's the reason why when you talk to a child and you ask them what they want to be, almost without exception, they speak of destiny. 
Almost without, without exception, they speak about making a difference in the world around them. Doing something that brings significant influence and the opportunity for massive change. And I, I am so convinced of this, that God has brought you here this morning to have you grab hold once again of that dream that He placed within you as a child. That destiny that He spoke over you before you were fashioned in your mother's womb. And He wants you to walk in it, and He wants you to live in it, and He wants that for several reasons. Number one, that's the path of joy, that's the path of fulfillment for you. Number two, there's a world around us that is dying because it's living in the moment. We have become more than ever in history, we have become a soundbite generation. And this living in the moment is getting us nowhere. And unfortunately, this issue of living in the moment, it has, it has infiltrated the church. And God says this, I don't want you to live for the moment. I want you to live for a lifetime. I don't just want you to live for a lifetime. I want you to store up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. I, I want you to have this different perspective. Let me tell you where it starts. I'm going to tell you what moves you to a point where you can live your life to where you say to those around you, watch me, watch me and do what I do. That's what Gideon says in Judges chapter 7, watch me and do what I do. He's talking about making a difference and living not just for himself, but living for his people. He's talking about saving a nation. Watch me and do what I do. Gideon is standing there on the edge of the battle lines. They're facing this overwhelmingly large Midianite army. They are grossly outnumbered. They were grossly outnumbered when he had over 30,000 troops. Now he has but 300. Watch me and do what I do. They're standing there. Here's what they have for weapons. They have pitchers, glass pitchers, pitchers of water, and torches, pitchers and lamps. Watch me and do what I do. Here's what we're going to do. You see that massive invading army with their swords and their spears and their shields? We have a pitcher and a lamp. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run over the hill to where they can see us and start shouting. This is a very different person than what we see one chapter earlier. In Judges chapter 6, it tells us this. It tells us that Gideon is threshing wheat in this bunker, okay, in this wine press, this, this, this cylindrical concrete bunker. And he's doing this. He's threshing the wheat in a wine press. And if you've ever seen somebody thresh wheat, what you have to do is this. You have to throw the wheat up in the air, right? And, and, and the grain falls quickly, and the, the rest of the stuff kind of falls. It, 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 anyway, it's, he's going to have wheat stuck all over his face. It's going to be hard to breathe in there. It's incredibly uncomfortable. Why is he in there? Why is he doing it in this really inappropriate place? He's doing it in this inappropriate place. He's living in hardship because of anxiety and fear. You see, every time that any, any one of the Israelites, they have any kind of, of produce, they have any kind of increase, 
Scripture tells us this, that the Midianites would swarm on, them, uh, swarm on them like locusts and take away everything that they had. And so out of fear of this little bit of grain that Gideon has, out of fear of having his enemies come and take it away from him, Gideon's hiding in this concrete bunker. And inside this concrete bunker, he's trying to thresh wheat. And in the midst of this, the angel of the Lord appears before him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's response, I think it's one of the more humorous statements in Scripture. Because here's what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, Lord. Pardon me. Uh, pardon. Uh, I think you're mistaken. Pardon me, Lord. Why? Why is Gideon struggling when the angel of the Lord appears before him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior? Here's the reason why. Because Gideon is tripping over difficulties with his identity. Yesterday, I was, I was at, this, I was at this, this men's conference, and I was listening to them speak, and, and, and I, I was appreciative of what they did. But I want to draw a comparison for you. Women's conferences, when, women, when you go to women's conferences, here's what they do. They tell you, you are valued and God loves you, and you leave encouraged and refreshed. Men, when we go to men's conferences, here's what they tell us. Men, you got to be courageous and step up, right? I mean, it's the truth. <laughs> Come on, you got to be more of a man. Come on, you got to be strong and courageous. And we walk out somewhat encouraged, but also somewhat intimidated. And I, I told the men that came to my workshop yesterday, I said, listen, while I appreciate that, that, that we're here and I appreciate the messages, I believe this. I believe there's an element of them that are incomplete because we're not dealing with the core issue. We're not dealing with the issue of identity. And the enemy has convinced us that we don't have the capacity within us to make a difference. The enemy has convinced us that our life has little worth to it. And when God steps into that wine press and he says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, God's not trying to encourage Gideon. Here's what he's doing. He's speaking truth over Gideon. Have you, ever had, have you ever had the opportunity to stand in front of a, 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 a piece of art and be there with the person that created the, 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 uh, the artwork and have them explain it to you? I, a few years ago, I was, I, was, I was at this art gallery and I'm looking at this piece of art and it looks like a, just a twisted hunk of metal. It looked like a, a mess, right? And I'm standing there and I go, what is this? right? I could make that. And this person taps me on the shoulder and says, hi, um, by the way, I, I actually created this piece. Um, man, this is, sir, this is like, that's amazing. I mean, that had to take you a good 15, 20 minutes to, I right? I mean, really, it looked like somebody just taking a hunk of metal and went, I did that with my eyes closed, right? I don't, I don't see it. But then he begins to describe how it, the, the piece represents the struggle of man versus machine. And, and, and he explains to me why, why he did certain features of the piece in a certain way. And it made sense to me. See, the artist could see it because he was the creator of the piece. When the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, God is speaking as the creator, God is speaking as the artist over his masterpiece. 
And yet we all too often, we, we buy into these lies. If you've been around, you've heard my story. I, 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 but I'm going to share it for the sake of those who are here for the first time or the first time in a long time or for the sake of those who are watching via media, I'll share it again. My name is Ed. Ed Garvin, and oftentimes when people hear that, they'll, they'll, they'll try to connect with me on a deeper level, and they'll go, oh, good to meet you, Edward. My name is not Edward. My name is not Edward, it's Edwin. If you're here and your name is Edward, that's a great name. Edward, your name, sir, if you're here and your, your, your name is Edward, your name means friend. That's a wonderful name to have. My name, Edwin, means wealthy friend. Can you understand why I don't want people to confuse that? I got that name. I got that name. My father showed up when I was born. My father was convinced that I was not his son. He was convinced that I was his business associate's son, Ed Lindsay. And so my father named me after his business partner, Ed Lindsay. Embarrassed by that, my father never called me by my given name. My father called me Butch. So I grew up. Uh, being known as Butch. My sister has recently started attending the church here. Um, and it can be confusing when I talk about my family because I've got my birth family and the family that adopted me in when I was homeless in high school. And uh, the, the, my one younger uh, biological sibling, uh, uh, Tammy, she started attending, uh, attending the church. Uh, and, uh, and my family always knew me as Butch. So even you may hear her call me Butch because that's what my, uh, my family knew me as. And, and, and actually, that's what I went by up until my college days. And, and then when I started thinking about being a pastor and realized that Pastor Butch doesn't, uh, just, <laughs> I said, I, I probably should go by my, my given name. But it, it got even more confusing for me. My, my father died just short of my eighth birthday. Uh, m- uh, my father died September 29th, 1973. And, uh, and within just a few months of my father's death, my mother had met another man, and uh, he moved into our home. He was a violent drunk and a child abuser. He never called me by my name. He would call me by a profanity, or he would call me uh, some derogatory term. One of the things he really loved to call me is he loved to call me Gomer after Gomer Pyle. I wish I could sing like that guy. But anyway, I, I grew up in an environment where where my real identity was, was overshadowed by these negative comments, these negative terms, these negative issues that, that were spoken over me. So much so that as a young adult, it was very difficult for me in a number of areas. One of the areas that was very difficult for me was this, even to look another individual in the eye. I struggled with that. Because I dealt with this issue of massive inadequacy. I have been, this year, it will be 30 years in pastoral ministry for me. Here's what I want you to know. The enemy still uses that to try to keep me bound, this issue of identity. And so I can relate to Gideon. And here's what I know. I know this. I know that there are many folks in this room that you can relate to Gideon as well. That the circumstances of life, the situations of your day, the things that have been spoken over you, uh, issues that happened in your home of origin, it has clouded your identity. 
And God brought you here this morning to hear, to hear God say this prophetically over you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You are His workmanship. You are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. See, that's what the Word of God speaks over you. And for you to walk in victory and for you to walk in the destiny that God has for you and for you to live beyond the moment and live for a lifetime, for you to shift from making a living to living a life that matters, it starts with dealing with this issue of identity. And as we come to grips with that and come to grips with it, only the Creator has the right to speak identity over His creation. We then have to, additionally, because of who we are, we have to deal with the natural doubts that, that will come. So in Judges chapter 6, when the, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, here's what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, but if, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know what? It may be the Lord was with our forefathers. It may be that God was with us at some point. But based on what I see in the moment, God is not with us now. It's fascinating to me that in this moment, the angel of the Lord doesn't go, I can't deal with you, right? Look, if that's how strong your faith is, you just kept just keep doing what you're doing. Keep threshing wheat in the wine press there, loser boy. I'm going to go find somebody who has more faith. That wasn't the posture of God at all, right? The posture of God is to walk Gideon through his doubt. And we have to deal with it. Listen, only God and madmen have no doubt. Let me say that again. Only God and madmen have no doubt. We all, we all deal with it. We all can relate to the centurion, right? I believe, help my unbelief. The best way to respond to doubt is to look to truth. To look to truth. To look to the promises of God. To look to the over 7,000 promises of God that are in His Word. And recognize that God is not slow in keeping His promises. Now, the, the reality that God is not slow in keeping His promises should be a profound encouragement to us in knowing that God will do things according to His timetable, not our timetable. And when it seems to us like God is late, we need to recognize that we're not seeking a tardy Savior. We just have mistaken perspective. It's important that we that we deal with our doubts. Last week, I had the opportunity to speak at a men's conference in Italy. Uh, I, I will confess to you uh, that I was in Italy for five days, and I gained almost eight pounds. Well, I felt like I needed to connect to the culture, right? 
so I started my cultural connect with a calzone, and I, I went from, to, 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 from that to spaghetti with clam sauce. And, um, I had to try pizza several times because the first pizza that I, that I had, we went to this pizza place right outside the Vatican, and, and it, it wasn't very good. Um, but I found the best pizza I've ever had in my life. And, uh, and, uh, and let's see, there was lasagna. There was, anyway, there was a long list. Gelato, that's probably my favorite. Um, the gelato. I, I think that just, that's like a kiss from heaven, I think. And anyway, um, I, I was honored to, to go and, to, uh, and to, uh, to be the speaker for this men's conference. And it was interesting because the, 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 the men that were there, they were, they were pretty much equally divided. There, there were a group of men that were there that they're, um, they're um, um, expats living in Italy, uh, working in uh, different positions. Many of them worked for uh, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. In fact, some high-ranking officials in the FAO uh, of the UN. Th- then, in addition, you had these, uh, these college students that were there um, studying abroad, and, and they were from all over the world. I found it fascinating. This is one a little interesting side note, that one of the young men there, his name is Jeff, uh, he is a, a student from Iowa State University, and he was in Italy studying architecture. Jeff went to the same school in kindergarten at the same time as my daughter, Lauren. Isn't that weird? That this kid who lived in the same town that we lived in during my daughter's kindergarten year, and they went to the same school, they went in a different kindergarten class, but they went to the same school that God would cause us to meet across the world in Europe. Jeff said this to me. He said, uh, Sunday morning, he said, Pastor Ed, he said, I now know I didn't come to Italy to study architecture. I came here for this moment. I want to talk to you for a minute about Jerome. I I shared this Friday night at the live recording of the worship CD. Jerome is a Nigerian refugee living in Italy. And Jerome told me this. He said, He said, Pastor, a lot of the men that are here as refugees, uh, they fled for religious reasons. They fled for political reasons. And and the men that are from Nigeria, a lot of them fled from Boko Haram. He said, that's not my story. That's That's not my deal. He said, I didn't flee from bad people. I fled because I was a bad person. And he said, I I was involved in some activity in Nigeria that if I stayed there, I was going to be killed. And so I fled. So made my way to the north coast of Africa, got on a boat, we're traveling across the water. He said, if you're in one of these boats and you get sick, you're going overboard. If you're in one of these boats and they think you're sick, you're going overboard. If you are in one of these boats and you make somebody mad, you're going overboard. And when you go overboard, you're done. And he said, it was not unusual along the way to hear a splash and realize there goes another one. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know who did it, but I'm in the boat. All of a sudden, I am shoved very hard, and I'm in the water. And he said, as I'm, as I'm in the water, and as I'm bobbing in the water, he said, this thought comes over me. Well, I guess I finally got what I deserved. He said, before I know it, he said, a hand grabs my jacket. He's wearing a coat. Grabs my jacket. 
and starts to pull me up. And he said, I instinctively, I grabbed both hands, grabbed onto that arm, and it pulled me back up in the boat. He said, I don't know who it was. He said, but I have been feel, I have been filled with this anxiety and this guilt over the idea that I robbed God of his judgment over me. And he said, and when you asked us to pray, and I started to pray, he said, as clear as you talked to me, God spoke to me and said this, it was my hand that reached out to save you. And I saved you because I have a plan for you. Make no mistake, friend, that God has a plan for you. It's important that we recognize that, that destiny. That's the reason why I think it's significant when, when God speaks to Gideon, he says this. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. See, God's statement to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, it echoes what Peter says in 2 Peter when he says this, that his divine power has given us everything that we need to participate in the divine nature. Notice it doesn't say his divine power gives or his divine power will give. It says his divine power has given us everything that we need to participate in the divine nature. See, everything that you need for life and godliness, God has provided. Now, it's very important that we understand this because oftentimes we will buy into the mistaken notion partially because we accept it and believe it, partially because unfortunately this extra biblical idea is preached over and over again where you're constantly going to be told that God will put you in situations that are absolutely overwhelming to you, but if you step into that situation, that God will show up in the moment. Now what happens is this, is that causes us to step into these situations somewhat in faith but also in fear going, okay God, I'm going to do this, but if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. I believe that that's not a biblical truth on any level because Scripture says this. It says that before the foundations of the world, God knew you. Before you were fashioned in, in, in your mother's womb, He ordered your steps. And He has given you everything that you need. For life and godliness. He has given you everything that you need to participate in the divine nature. That's the reason when God appears to Gideon, he doesn't say to Gideon, Gideon, listen, you go, I know you can't do it, you know you can't do it, they know you can't do it, but when you go, I will show up and everything's going to be okay. That's not what God says to Gideon. He says this to Gideon, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Yes, it is true that God will put us in situations that are far beyond our ability. But we don't have to wonder if God's going to show up because God's already there. Let me say that again. You don't have to wonder if God's going to show up because God being omnipresent, God's already there. So you don't have to worry about God showing up in your situation. You don't have to worry about God showing up in your moment. You just go in the strength that you have. And then we... We turn to those, those promises, those promises, those very great and precious promises. So Peter refers to in, in, in 2 Peter, he says that his divine nature has given us everything that we need through these very great and precious promises. 
that in them we can participate in the divine nature, escaping the world and all of its evil and all of its wrath. God says this to Gideon there in Judges chapter 6. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to fight the Midianites. Understand this, I'm going to give you victory over the Midianites. Not one of them is going to be left alive. Not one. You are going to be used to rescue Israel. So, when Gideon makes that statement in in Judges chapter 7, when he says, watch me, Watch me. I want you to watch what I do. I want you to follow my lead. I want you to do what I do. He's able to make that statement because he's come to grips with who he is in God. He's honestly talked to God about his doubts. God is confirmed in him That he has everything that he needs to be more than a conqueror. And God has given him the promise that not one Midianite is going to be left alive. So it's with this understanding of identity. It's with this surrendering of his doubts and embracing his destiny that he's positioned to stand on God's promise. All too often, we struggle in standing on the promises of God because we've never dealt with identity. We've never responded to our doubts and allowed God to give clarity to our destiny. And so we will haphazardly And even half-heartedly claim a promise and move forward with unsure steps. God doesn't want that for you. God wants you to live with a Gideon spirit. Watch me. Follow my lead. Do what I do. Because as Gideon stood there on the edge of the battle lines, knowing that he was massively outnumbered and significantly out-equipped, here's what he had. He had the promise of the angel of the Lord. Now, understand this. Gideon had his issues. Gideon lived in a home where right outside his door were shrines to false gods. Now, it was his father's home. Gideon was not fully responsible for it, but he was partially responsible for it. And here's the reason why we know he is partially responsible for it. Because after the angel of the Lord appears before him, what does Gideon do? He goes and he, tear, and, and, and he tears apart those shrines and those altars that are, that are on the front porch of his house. When the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, Gideon doesn't have his life completely straightened out. Gideon isn't this perfect specimen of faith. He's a guy who has no longer 
in his heart, yeah, maybe still in his heart, but he certainly doesn't have in the forefront of his mind making a difference. He has surrendered that to making a living. There's a lot of us that can relate to that. But just as God stepped into Gideon's moment, I am so convinced. I, I, I will tell you, church, I, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this all through worship this morning. I am so convinced that this is your moment. And this is God stepping into your situation. It's God speaking to your, your anxiety and your identity struggle and your doubt. It's not to beat you up. It's not to beat any of us up. No, it's very different. It's God stepping into your day and saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You're in this room and years ago, you were called to vocational ministry. And you've played around with it, but you've kept it on the periphery. You have these moments where you understand your calling, but they are pushed back by the doubts. You've had this, this dormant dream of having a, a missionary footprint in the community. An outreach to those who are living outside of God's grace. But you're held captive by the questions. You're held back by the doubts. You at one point were fully engaged in this dream that God has given you to make a difference. But you were hurt by people. You were hurt by the church. You, you were hurt by somebody in a position of influence. And now you live your life and you would describe yourself as a faithful follower, but you're doing your work inside of a concrete bunker. You've insulated yourself and surrounded yourself. Because in the place that you are, no one can hurt you. But in the place that you are, it has no influence. 
And friend, you were created for such a time as this. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. God, I thank you today. I thank you today for your word. I thank you that it is true. I pray that you would use that would use the the truth of your word to speak life change into each and every one of us. And God, we, we commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name. Let me tell you what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. This, this, this was not the way that we had ordered the service. Um, I was not supposed to come up at the end of worship. And I just kind of took over the service because I felt like that's what God was telling me to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do now what was scheduled to happen at the end of worship. So we're going to share with you a welcome, announcements, and an offering. I encourage you to be obedient to the Lord in giving. Return the tithe to the Lord. Give, give your offerings to Him. And then, because we've already done, done the message portion, we're going to go from the offertory right into the altar call. And there's a reason why I want to do it this way. I want to give you pause. I don't want you to simply respond in emotion. I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit's draw. I also want my pastors, elders, and prayer team to know that at the end of the offertory, I'm going to immediately call you forward. And friend, if, if you're here and you're struggling in any way with identity, you need to be in an altar. And let a brother or sister in Christ pray a prayer of agreement over you. If you're trying to navigate the doubts, I challenge you, as soon as the altars are open, run to an altar. Run to one of these folks up here. Let them, because listen, God has victory for you today. God has breakthrough for you today. God has miracle for you today. You've got a burden that you've been carrying, and you've been carrying it for way too long. Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Today's your day to step out of the wine press and step into his will. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.